Welcome to another Sonic Talk. Sonic Talk episode 340. Gosh, that's a big number. Sounds like, um, well, we're heading for almost a year's worth of Sonic Talks. Another six months and we'll have got to 360-something. Interesting. Or not interesting, depending on how you feel about such things. Anyway, I want to say thank you very much for everybody to joining us in the chat room this week. Nice to see a good fulsome number. I uh, hope everything is working technically for you. It seems to be here. I'm suffering. I, I think I remember a couple of weeks ago my laptop went down and uh, I sent it off and it came back and it was fine because they couldn't find a fault and then it died yesterday more spectacularly so it's gone again so i'm sort of uh ricketing about on my old laptop which seems to be all right but is a bit sluggish um but there are various issues that uh, crop up from time to time so i do apologize in advance if any of them affect today's broadcast anyway let's go to our guests uh, we'll start with mr dave spears who's looking uh, like uh dive dive das boot kind of uh, extra there very uh, you just need a bit more of a beard and uh, I could find the theme music. G4 Software, of course, .com, makes the fine software instruments. And um, the hoarders, I say that, I don't use that word lightly, of analog synthesizers. So, Dave, it's been a couple of weeks since you've been on the show. That's long enough for you to probably uh, replenish your um, entire uh, wish list of synthesizers. So have you done anything bad? Have yeah. you anything you want to confess? Uh... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have well, to. I mean, my I'm name just... is Dave Spears, and I am a synthaholic. Uh, <laughs> we bought uh, we bought a TR808, which is nice. Oh, lovely! And then uh, we bought on Friday last week. Yeah, I think it was Friday. We bought a uh, CR uh, CS80 in need of a lot of love and attention. So Ooh. it's gone to the synth hospital. We took it and I bade it farewell. I was like, "Oh, see you soon." And I'm really hoping that I'll get that back by Christmas. But I did promise Kent, the ace Mr. CS80 fixer, that I wouldn't hassle him. Kent's so this isn't uh, he's obviously in the ch- he's often in the chat room. We did especially, in fact, the uh, the con- the creator by chance of or the winner of the theme tune. Um, names picked out of a hat kind of thing. It turns out that he was the man who did the theme tune. We're going to hold another competition, I think, sometime in the not-too-distant future for a a, a replacement for that, uh, much as it's done a good service. But I'm glad to hear that, Dave. That sounds very exciting. Uh, What have I got? I've got a... I've got a... um, a What's it? I've got a Pulse 2, which finally arrived. And that is... I have to say, a really good-sounding synthesizer. So there will be a review coming up. Uh, in the meantime, um, we've got some other things going on. Uh, I don't know if you saw... If you're missing Gaz, because he wasn't here last week and isn't here this week, uh, he will be in Sonic Touch. We've got another episode in the can. That's going to be coming. And I've also reviewed the Gecko uh, MIDI controller for Leap Motion. But anyway, back to Mark Tinley. Likebeing.com. Or, well, you did tell me to put something else on there, but I couldn't remember what it was. Or I tried Mark to go Tinley. to that... MarkTinley.co.uk Ah, I think I tried the www and it didn't work. A bit. Yeah. yeah. Did you? Oh. I think it you should work. To... Likebeing.com just takes you to a holding page that goes to all the different websites that I'm building at the moment. So Ah. It's still it's relevant. Super, your super hub. Still me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Mark, nice to have you there. You're looking very jaunty today. I've changed my hat. Yeah, there's it's looking good. Head. It's got there's there's a sort of slight 
Steve Strange about you now. It was Captain Sensible oh, a while ago. Well, now it's more yeah, Steve Strange. The eyebrows. Steve. Steve Strange. <laughs> Steve Strange. Steve yeah. Strange. Avant caterpillar. Les caterpillar. Un, deux, or un, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Is he, has Steve Strange got monobrow? Has he? No, he used to shave them off, didn't he? Ah. So he had a very strange sort of drawn on. So I don't know if he still does that. I'm not sure. Probably probably look a bit strange with greying hair wouldn't it not having eyebrows but. i don't well did, we did do a little piece because there was a visage um reissue yeah, wasn't there he and he was good, he was all he? dolled up yeah yeah he did look interesting i mean he managed to look 50 and not look like he was trying to be you know 20. like it's he, kind of like did a whole fashion thing that suited somebody of his age but he's uh, seems to be quite a clever man when it comes to that kind of thing so well, anyway, you're looking good, Mark. You look, your lighting is very Rembrandt. It's looking... You're, you're, it does your web camera. It, yeah, it's better than Steve Strange or Captain Sensible, isn't there it? There we go. There's an, oh, my goodness. There you go. Except your, your white balance is... Now you've gone more yellow, but that's okay, too. Right. Yes. What did I do? You moved your ha other hand. There you go. You move your hand there. It goes blue. Put your hand down. It, uh, we'll, we'll go yellow in a minute. Analog it, controls. Yeah, amazing. It's like gesture control. <laughs> like, as I said, we did this. We did this thing. I did this thing with the um, leap motion and gecko, and that's got gesture control and up and down and in and around and, and and also being able to do that as well. Um, but yeah, so it's quite interesting. But do you how is to that thing? Then you've set it up and tried it, have you? I have. Yeah, I reviewed the gecko uh, by Geert Bevin. Geert Bevin. Sorry, I get his name wrong. It's two E's in the Geert and one E in the Bevin. And he's uh, he's the guy who does a lot of the Eigen Labs, uh, Eigen Harp stuff. And okay. it's interesting, but it's also very alien. So it's the sort of thing that I probably need to be shown something cool to do with it rather than try and do what I think I should do with it, if you see what I mean. It, it, it requires a, a whole new level of... Um, learning really to kind of figure out and also bear in mind if you're playing something you've only got maybe one hand free and you have to do something with that so yeah it, i think it's got a little bit of way to go and, and perhaps it'll work, be a, a, a very interesting but it sort I, of feels a bit unnecessary at the moment talking about harps i went to um in the market house in glastonbury there was one of those sort of mind body spirit fair kind of things and it was in aid of homeless people and i thought well, i'll go along and check it out and there was a chap in the doorway playing a harp, and I sort of thought, oh, that's quite nice, you know, all the kind of... And I just sort of stood and stopped and listened to him for a while, and then kind of got chatting with him, and he said, well, of course, you could do this with a harp, and he started playing Cindy Lauper's Time After Time, and I was like, whoa, okay, that's weird. And then he went through an entire rendition of all these different pop songs in major key, then this other chap came out, who's a busker around Glastonbury, a guy called Dave Beach, and Dave said, oh, can you do um, blues on that thing? And he retuned the harp, and he started doing, like, these really, like, kind of honky-tonky, bluesy, kind of jazzy kind of riffs on it. And I sort of, I, it completely mind-bended my, mind-bent, my whole idea of what harps are supposed to be able to do. And I was just kind of like, whoa, okay. Well, I mean, kind of, of course, because it's a musical instrument and the guy's a musician and understands different musical styles. But at the same time, I'm, you know, how narrow-minded of me to think that you only was play it, was it a harp? Was it a harp with levers or was it, was it levers? Yeah, or was, levers. Ah, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, that, so those things are amazing. It. 
You don't see if you ever seen one of those levered harps, and you go up close because normally you only see the sandbox bit and the and the lady in the gown, you know. But actually, yeah. around the back, there are tons of levers for kind of tuning and muting and chromatically changing the strings. It's amazing, actually. It's really mechanically quite complex. I mean, what caught my eye first was it had red and blue strings on it. Yeah. And having been thinking about extending the scale length of my guitar, and putting thicker strings on it and tuning it down, then I kind of got fascinated by the thickness of the strings. I know this yeah. is so Asperger's, isn't it? <laughs> Did you take a gauge <laughs> the to detail, them? you know. But anyway, this triggered off this conversation, which like led to a kind of a musical revelation for me, because it was kind of like, oh, okay, you know. Here's me thinking I'm like, oh, really forward-thinking, and I have all these ideas which are so out the box and everything, and this harp player blew my bloody mind. Unbelievable. Wow. That's well, great. I mean, it's always nice to have one of those sort of musical, interesting uh, revelations. Uh, like I say, I've got the uh, Pulse 2 here, which I'm, I'm, I won't say is a revelation, but it's, it's my first exposure to sort of core Waldorf synthesis outside of the sledge, which was fun, but not all that densely packed in terms of sound, whereas this feels much more kind of robust as a sound source. Um, anyway, let's get on to our first um, topic. This is uh, Gareth Jones. I'll play a little bit of him. Uh, this is for the Microsoft. This is uh, Microsoft developer stuff. Uh, there's a bit of intro, and I'll fast forward him because he says something really interesting, which was sort of pertinent at about one minute twenty. But we'll give you the setup. The noise is the noise of the world. <laughs> Sound of nature. And if I have to uh, shrink it down to one of the four elements, I'd probably say water. That made me laugh. This bit makes me laugh even more. Partly because it's so challenging to record it. It's so <laughs> challenging to effectively bring the sound of water out of a sound... Right, I'm just going to move forward. Uh, yeah, we've got those, uh, those uh, stories of trying to record um, beautiful water features and they just end up sounding like toilets flushing. But here's, here's the interesting part for me, anyway. ...form them, of course, is they're full of harmonic richness. <laughs> Bringing complexity... Uh, timbrely and dynamic range uh, to a small device is super challenging, obviously. And I guess... Yeah, it won't play. There must be something faulted. There's a fault in the machine. But what he was basically saying was that um, we know from history, obviously, that our, our grandparents, you know, and, 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 and great-grandparents in some cases, you know, listened to sort of awful gramophone records with sort of ear trumpets <laughs> and got the essence of a performance and the vibe and the memory of something more emotionally and dynamically um, realistic than they're actually listening to. So there's no reason why that shouldn't be happening in the mobile devices. And I thought that's really interesting. I hadn't really ever thought about it like that. And I well. thought, hmm... So uh, he doesn't go on to say how you actually achieve this, which would be very interesting. That was, yeah. But uh, were you waiting for that, Mark, as well? That was my, I sat there and I listened to the whole thing. I thought, wow, this is really interesting. This is really interesting. Then he just kind of petered out at the end. And I thought, what, 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 <laughs> tell what, us, what, tell what us. are you actually telling us? I know there's a problem recording things and reproducing things, but I thought you were going to solve it. <laughs> sort of disappointed at the end, but. I, I guess some, you know. Even if you had a demonstration of, hey, check this sound out. This, this is going to sound great on your laptop speakers because I did this or whatever. Well, I, I, to be honest, I think this was a piece that was obviously commissioned by Microsoft, and it was just you know interesting people. And Gareth is a very interesting fellow. We we he is, interviewed very, him. Yeah. We interviewed him for the uh, at um, uh, the Roundhouse Mute 
day mute festival thing and uh he was just brilliant value and I, I am negotiating with him to do a day in the life blog as well with him which he says he's up for he's just got to find the right time so i'm really hoping maybe it'll be the day that he has to perform a challenging mix with dynamic content for a mobile device i don't know that'd be good if it was um but i mean you you do you do you mix? Do you even consider that? I mean, because I, you know, we now mix. You know, I mix I on do. like small speakers. I've never really thought about mixing on tiny little devices and that sort of side of things. But headphones, maybe. I've got um, uh, a dri- I suppose it's a driver on my iPhone. Um, it's called. Oh God, what is it called? I'd have to have a look. It's uh, it's by the same people that make the Air. You know, like you've got Air oh, Airplay oh, on Air-tunes. the Mac. Yeah. Air. Well, it's. Uh, they have a PC app, but they also have an app for the iPhone, which means that you can turn the iPhone into a speaker, oh, and then you can pick. A... So you can you can route the output from Logic, I think, straight into the iPhone speaker and listen to see what it's going to sound like, and then tweak a little bit. And... Is it? Is it? So I do do that sometimes. Airfoil, air, yeah. Airfoil. That is a real. I didn't realize you could do it with uh, airfoil. Oh, does it back to front? So that's like it's like well, rather than mix it down and then copy it into iTunes and then sync it across to the device and then play it and listen to see what's happening. You can pretty much have it in Logic and tweak it and play with it and then play it through the speakers and find out what's happening at the other end. That is and then, super cool. I mean, it's not, there's still a little bit of latency, but it is yeah, it's very useful to be able to tweak and mix. And to use your iPhone as a speaker, as an air speaker. Because all sorts of weird things happen when you go into mono as well, because you're coming out one tiny little kind of... I mean, it's not really a speaker, is it? There's a driver at the end of this kind of rubber, kind of horn-shaped thing on an iPhone. Uh, Really? I've not seen what it is inside. No. It's interesting to pull it apart, because it's it's not like a traditional speaker, really. It's sort of more... Oh, I don't know. It's like a miniaturized, um, you know, those horn things. That's a really interesting idea about being able to do that with the the, the speaker. I, I've just got. I've just realised I haven't got the uh, screen um, grab set up. So I don't know if uh, Dave would like to come in there while I set that up. If, if I could just drop you in the in the driving seat for a moment, Dave. <laughs> yeah, except I've probably got very little to say on this subject. Like everybody else, I was kind of waiting. Okay, come on then. Come on then. Come on then. In fact, I thought he was talking about you know, dynamic range for a while and how the loudness wars have kind of killed all of that, which then led me on to another thing which Apple have done, haven't they, with this iTunes radio, there's some kind of new algorithm that somehow reduces dynamic range or if you've squashed it to death, then uh, it will kind of unsquash it. I don't know, I did have a load of blah on it, which was kind of semi-interesting, which, of course, I've obviously completely lost now. Uh, it was saying... Oh, yeah, sound check algorithm, which doesn't allow to overcompress audio signals to simulate greater loudness. It simply turns it down to its actual volume. So, in effect, the new standard is not oriented towards maximum peak level, but orients uh, playback volume towards a complex mix of program loudness, loudness range, maximum true peak level. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I thought that's what he was going... I thought that's where he was going, actually. I thought it was kind of like Microsoft had developed some newfangled, super-duper thing like like this. Uh, and I'm quite intrigued to see how this works. 
Uh, and I know it's all been passed by the EBU, hasn't it? I I missed most of that, but I that sounds interesting. Um, uh, like it probably was interesting. I'm still trying to get the the website, the web uh, preview. Haven't together. they? Um, they've changed the broadcast wave format as well, haven't they? The actual definition of broadcast wave format includes a. Uh, oh God, what was I going to say? Uh, it's kind of a cap on the loudness of the track, so not the volume mm. level, the loudness. So the overall perceived loudness is not supposed to be over a certain amount. And if you go over that, especially for broadcast on TV and radio, then they're sort of saying, you know, that's not a true broadcast wave file. Please take it away and fix it. Um, well, they're, they're, yes, there's a whole load of metering apps that have been coming out recently with all these new standards because yeah. they're, they're not completely standardised as we've been, uh, uh, you know, as we've been hoping that they would be. Um, but, uh, yeah, they haven't been completely standardised yet at all. I mean... In t- you know, in terms of zero dB, that doesn't really mean anything unless you're a sine wave and you're playing a one kilohertz tone, right? But yeah. in terms of in terms of music, they're sort of they're developing a new, I guess it's a new loudness standard, or they're implementing a loudness standard that says this is what we expect for you to. It's for radio shows, isn't it? That's uh, well, um, uh, yeah. John Wise says in the chat so, room, meant, meant to cut advert loudness on TV. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a great idea. That drives me insane. Yes. I'm kind <laughs> of constantly, neighbors? particularly when you're in bed and you've got the TV on and like the wife's asleep here and don't want to really disturb her, but there's this program and you're watching it and you're, I'm constantly kind of messing with the remote <laughs> level. It drives when me those, nuts. When that special interest ad comes on after midnight, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that, that channel. <laughs> Oops. Oh, did I wake you, uh, Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Who's that? What's that man doing in a vest? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, it was an interesting idea. I don't know. Have you, do you ever think about um, stuff that you're doing for uh, mixing f- in terms of, you know, mobile phone stuff? Because that Airfoil Air thing sounds really useful for, for, for playing stuff out. I mean, I'm guessing it must use some sort of compression that's similar to what you would get on an a, um, MP3 anyway. Do you think about that sort of stuff, Dave, or you just kind of mix for your own no, pleasure? No, mix for pleasure, mix for... <laughs> mix just to make everything sound lovely to my ears. Yeah. And then other people come in and go, oh, it's quite fascinating watching, you know, other people like, you know, obviously people like Rick Smith. I, I know at one point he would use that little Fostec, that was a mono little oh, yeah, power like, speaker, yeah. you know, and Chris has always advocated, you know, if it sounds good... In fact, when we were up at Benji's last, Benji's was like, if it sounds great in mono... It's going to sound great on stereo if you can get everything balanced for that. But uh, no, I kind of prefer to sort of hand that job to somebody else and come back and go, can I have a client fader, please? No, um, <laughs> usually that sounds brilliant. I don't know, my ears get very... Uh, I think it's as the older, you know, the older I get, my ears get more fatigued. So if I'm writing for any real length of time or if I'm working for somebody else in the studio for any length of time, then I kind of really value those moments where I can kind of step away from it and then come back, hopefully slightly more objectively. Mm. But then, you know, if you've got a great mix engineer... Yeah, I mean, I was going to say that because, I mean, I, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks back that the mix part of it was... 
I used to enjoy that, but now I actually can't be bothered with it. It sort of feels like, I, you know, that's the stuff that takes ages, and I, I lost the interest. I like the creative part of mix, like coming up with a sound for the mix, but I, I just I don't know if I can be bothered to the detail of the mix. I'd much rather have someone just make it so. I don't know how you feel about that sort of thing. I find it really interesting in that when I write, it's a bit of a kind of, you know, building up... Uh, it's like an immersive experience. That's kind of what I like to build up. And I know that's, that's frustrated some people that I work with. So the way a synth will work with another synth and the way those harmonics will interact with that, for me, is really, really important. But then actually what's fascinating is that with a great mix engineer, if I walk away and then come back, there is always more clarity in what I'm presented with, which... Yeah. I like being pleasant, pleasantly surprised I know what you that. mean, though. Sometimes I remember, because um, there's this sort of magic glue of low fidelity that sort of, when that's removed or cleaned away or not trans- retranslated into a high-fidelity mix, it just leaves these massive gaping holes in the, in the audio spectrum and the sonic mix that make you feel like, oh, it's all wrong. You know, it doesn't it seem was, to have, have that. My noise. worst ever experience was when we, we used to record in a little kind of crummy 24 track in uh, Rotherhithe when it was a real dump of a place. But this studio was so vibey, it had loads going on. It was right adjacent to a squat. God knows how it never got robbed every five minutes, but it was really cool. And we everything we left with that we recorded in that place just had a feel about it, which was probably, you know, partly because I was there and every time I listened to it outside of that experience, it kind of conjured up that experience. And then we went, we got a producer guy, uh, what was his name? I've forgotten his name now. It's quite a big, big guy. Oh, he he owned uh, Bronze Records. Remember that? In fact, I think his name was Jerry Bron. And he owned the Roundhouse Studios up at Chalk Farm with a big SSL and all the rest of it. And, of course, he came to see us and he said, oh, I love the band and what, like, what I'd like to do is take it on to the next level. And I'll never forget going in there, like, really excited and then having this feeling at mix time of it's just cold and sterile and horrible. And I think I've oh. probably psychologically done everything to avoid that subsequently. Mm. That's an interesting point. I, I think... Um there used to be, you know, much more so in the sort of 80s and 90s, this concept that there was some magic special source, whereas now we've sort of gone in the box, that seems to have been removed and only seems to be uh, applied to the actual recording space rather than the mix space these days. Do you think that's fair enough or was that um, just rubbish, Mark? No, I don't. <laughs> Me? Yes, I don't know. You um, look like you wanted to come in there. I'm very against magic special sauce. <laughs> I've spent my whole career going to people, why are you spending all that money on a studio? Look, I've got a computer here, it's a laptop, yes, I know, and I've got a sound card, and let's just go in a hotel room and do it. And they go, like, you can't do that, can you? And I go, yeah, yeah, look, let's hire a suite, let's go in there, and then we set it up, and then they do it, and then they go, wow, this is really good, we don't have to go to the studio every day. And uh, so... You know, and the, and the magic special. I think the magic special source, and what I've noticed is people like Jeremy Wheatley, who picks the mix apart for days and adds little tiny elements that you can't even hear, but you sort of perceive them, and you go, "What the hell's he done to this? It sounds really different." And then you listen. You sit in front of two speakers, and it's like, "This is huge! What's he done?" <laughs> like all my mixes are always really, you know, fairly narrow and sort of. Uh, 
Oh, I don't know. They just. I know what you're just, saying. You know, he he's, he brings it to life that particular book, and Spike Stan, brilliant. Yes, I, like, I would agree. It's just like whatever magic special source he has, he's the guy with the magic special source bottle. I don't think it has too much to do with the recording process, especially for synths. Maybe if you've got a drum kit and you're in Abbey Road Studio One and you want to capture that ambience and you want to move all those big tiles around and kind of get that whole kind of vibe, then maybe there's something there, but. No, no that's inter- that is interesting. I always struggle with that because, I mean, it's easy these days with a synth patch or effects patches to make everything really wide. But, I, you know, there are there obviously it must be a formula or a, some guidelines to, you know, what do you make wide to make everything sound wide but you still get the solidity of the stuff down the middle? That's what I want to know. Yeah, for me, me it's too. <laughs> resonances. Sorry? For me, it's all to do with resonances. If it has a particular harmonic resonance, then that's kind of what you have to play to. Right. Uh, if there isn't, then it becomes broader. So actually, if it's very focused on a particular bandwidth, if you, you can narrow it down, and it doesn't, it, particularly with pads and stuff like that, you, and, and anything synth-wise, you can narrow that spectrum down as long as it keeps that character. Right, you just take You can lose the bottom mean. end and you can lose the top end, and that way you can make everything sit just playing, playing to strengths, but great mix engineers are just like manna from heaven. Yeah, I spoke well, to Dave I, Gamson a million years ago, there's a Michel Undercello album, which I absolutely adore, that he produced in 91, that still sounds utterly amazing. And I was saying to him, you know, what was the recording, I was asking him, what was the recording process on that? And he said, oh man, you know, we just used like, I've got a feeling it was like some M-Audio interface. He said, but the difference came with this guy. I think it might have been Bob Power or somebody. He said he was just such an amazing mix engineer. It's got so much energy in it. Mm, that's interesting. There's some great stuff in the chat room, actually. Echosonic, uh, sometimes uh, the bigger the mix, it becomes an exercise in organising grains of rice so that they are all parallel. I like that as a metaphor. So true. That's, that's a good one. Um, and, uh, yes, lots of uh, interesting stuff. But uh, it seems to be... Um, there is kind of general consensus that mixing is difficult. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, I've had the fortune to work with Spike Stent on a couple of occasions. And, um, and yeah, it's what he can do is pretty amazing. He just It's like he's sort of... If your mix you're relatively pleased with and you like the structure of it and you think it's... He just pumps these steroids into it that makes it go oh. just like... Bang! Big, huge, particularly for stuff that's got you know. I mean, he did. It's hard to forget, uh, hard to remember sometimes that he did a lot of the classic. Uh, uh, I think he did um, all the, the the massive attack stuff that really kind of, you know, the, 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 I think the stuff with um, Liz Fraser. That's him. Mm. And you know, that's just it's pretty amazing, really. When I see him, I mean. We talk about mixes getting muddy, but then one way of thinking about that, and an analogy might be that if you've got a whole load of colours and you mix them together, it's so easy to end up at brown, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and these guys, they literally come along and they just kind of spark and put some colour back into it and bring it all to life. And then you come out of there going, how did they do that? And it's, you know, I guess it's years of years of honing that particular skill just in... So. And, sitting it's, in that niche and going that's my skill is like mixing and bringing things to life and you know it's it's frustrating though isn't it because i mean we've all been doing this for a long time and you know i'm terrible at mixing and i i really thought for a while i was good but i i realized that i'm just not at all in any way i mean i might have mixed a few things just so for what they needed to be but it's not like a uh-huh. skill that i could say i i had which is you know a bit disappointing 
Same with mastering I engineering, isn't it? <laughs> yes. My, my, my thing is sometimes I'm brilliant and other times I'm not, but the problem is I don't know what, what made the made. brilliant ones really good. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody might ask me to mix something and I might come out with a really, like, you know, that I'll go back and look at, like, because I can never tell at the time. So I might go back four or five years later and think, bloody hell, that's actually really good. Mm. But then I think, well, what, what, what did happened I do? there that made that one good and the one I did like a couple of weeks later wasn't so good? I've done, like I've done roughs for Duran Duran that are way better than some of the mixes they got from back from other people. And then, but I don't know what I did. I don't, it's yeah. like, you know. I don't know, maybe it's, my, who knows? Anyway, but that's fun. Um, now we've got a new synth. It's uh, not often we say, to, well, actually it's getting more and more often we're saying that, which is great. And this one's all arty, as they do. It's very uh, switched on Moog. I expect to see the Droogs come in and beat him to death with a giant ceramic phallus. Well, I hope not, obviously, I don't want that to happen to him. Even though he's wearing a hoodie. This, of course, is the Electron Analog Keys, everybody. Woohoo! Big fanfare. And fanfare is fairly appropriate for what he's playing. And this is uh, the news that, um, yeah, it's out. Finally, came out on Saturday. It's got that great Electron reverb, actually, which I haven't noticed in the Analog 4 as well. It looks like it's a four-voice analog 4 but with a keyboard and a joystick and a bit more software update so it'll do all four voices together but what's interesting about this also is uh now this boss boss yeah i want some ballet dancers in this all right can i have some, do you know anyone yeah all right then you can have them i know that i bet that's john at electron he does all the all the video stuff there they are there's the girls he's doing the uh, well it's the, the the good test of any analog isn't it make it sound like a wet fart there we go and he, I think that worked as well so I excuse my terribly uh, unfunny commentary there but uh, yeah analog 4 um, seems to have created a lot of buzz about it we were hopefully going to have someone there at the Berlin launch but uh, due to my administrative error um, my reporter on the ground went to the club at 10 o'clock and missed the press launch completely because I, for, I forgot to tell him about it because I thought he knew. Um, but anyway, that's irrelevant. But excited? You haven't got any uh, um, Electron stuff, and they are now making analogue, Dave, so um, you know you might have to make room for one more thing, and it's not very big. No. Um, yeah, no. I, I, oh, God, this is like purgatory, isn't it, for me? Uh, I really like the sound of this. I went through the demos and stuff and thought, ooh. Filters sound great. Uh, it's expensive, isn't it? It's not a cheap. It's, it's a, you know, in the, it's towards the two thousand bucks, eighteen eighteen forty nine US dollars. You know, it's a, it's their usual sort of European boutique synth price. So it's yeah, not but a cheap. it does sound nice. Uh, the, what, so what are we talking? We're talking two VCOs and two subs as well. Which I uh, two sub oscillators, dual analog filters, analog overdrive per voice. Uh, drive storage hosting um, this is something that they do it's just a bit of flash RAM I think uh, external CV gate sequencer parameter signable uh, extensive modular super void reverb which does sound very nice there they've got some nice effects algorithms in there I must say polyphonic multi-timbral and dual voice modes uh, unison modes dedicated MIDI controller mode have I got a, oh there we go I can probably throw a, a, a screen 
what's it up? On sale December the 5th, shipping December the 9th. Um, the one thing that was interesting, and I don't, you got maybe heard a little bit of it, they, what they've done is they, the, the patch changes are super fast, and they've created this sequencer mode that allows you to change programs for each step. So obviously if you've got one voice, or maybe two, mm-hmm. so you can have things changing, so you can create these really complex rhythmical or you know, musical parts where it changes rapidly. And that's quite that an interesting. We're doing that. Yeah, yeah, because I think that's how they were doing some of that stuff, and that uh, so, and that's quite interesting because there was something else recently that changed patch changed really, really quick. Base station does the same thing. You could just do sixteenth uh, parts and do kick snare hat 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 kick snare hat and, and create actual rhythm tracks from a single voice because the program change response is so fast. Uh, yes, it's oh. uh, as Google says in the chat room, it's P locks, uh, uh, which is you know their thing, parameter locks. Uh, will I be reviewing one soon? Uh, the answer to that is no, uh, because they want to send it to me uh, early January, which in, realistically is going to be not till the 6th or 7th of January, which means I'd have to review it and learn it and get it all done and prepare for NAM at the same time. So I'm, I'm going to tr- see if we can talk them to come down. But I have heard there's going to be something else coming out as well. Apparently there was something at the press launch under glass, but I don't know any more about that. I know, Mark, hmm. you, I, I, I think you'd get on with Electron stuff. I think it's the sort of thing that you would kind of appreciate, you, you might get into, actually. This, it's, it's, very, it's very absorbing. It's like a process that you kind of, it's a way of working that you just stick to that machine. And I don't know whether that might uh, uh, suit you or not, but I, I, sus- I suspect it might. Depends how big it is. <laughs> I've got nowhere to put anything. Um, ah, well. Um, I liked the sounds it was making. It made... Um, you know, there's certain things that analog synths can do and they have strengths in those areas that when they're not trying to sound like oboes or strings or any of those things, that's like when they moved the joystick and did that kind of screech with a kiss kind of sound at the end of it. I really like that sound and the kind of sound of everything disappearing into a big... You know, that got me. And the rhythmic thing, when they were switching between kick and then... Yeah. I said, how's that thing doing that? That's really interesting. But it's like, you know, all the parameters changing really quick, I guess, somehow. Yeah, Um, well, you can parameter, I think, five deep per step, as well as changing programs, too. So you can do all of that stuff. I mean, what what makes that really different is it becomes like a wave sequence, which is distinctly different to taking a whole load of analog drums because if i do that with a tr808 i will always end up putting two drums on top of each other and if you do it with a synth then you only ever have that moving wave sequence and then it sounds like it's really changing direction and doing something very angular and it sounds much more exciting actually and then i don't know why i always put too many layers and things but i do (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well it's a way of working lots of people do that yeah I mean, yeah uh, i mean you know I, it, when i used to have this thing called uh i had a sampler that i built an ai sampler and it's plugged into the back of a zx spectrum and the only way i could put two things together would be to like uh add a snare and a hi-hat together if i wanted a, a snare sample, and a hi-hat right, and, yeah. beat and have another sample which had that because it was monophonic so it meant that things were very separated and very broken up and it had a really kind of well again i said angular kind of quality to it and i liked this synth it was doing that as well so Mm. um it did sound good well uh, whether yeah i mean i think like i said just shipping uh december 9th so people are going to get start getting them before christmas uh obviously not the reviewers though um but 
uh, like I say, I don't think I'll be able to fit one in. But hopefully, I'm going to try and talk Electron to coming over and doing what they did before, which was kind of do a presentation, because I think... Um, that went down quite well, and it was successful for them. Although they, they, I noticed in one of their presentation videos, they just stole all the shots and did it at home, <laughs> save themselves. The fun. But there was no, you know, no independent, you know, aspect to that. So, any, but anyway, we'll see. Uh, but people are getting because we've also just done this uh, um, uh, King, you know, 2013 analogs, basically polysynths, because we did the monosynths poll. That's still running, and that's incredibly close, actually, from the sort of top four synths. And the polysynths one, uh, I had to put it in because it's released in 2013, and there will be some people who are getting it by then. Um, so yeah, go and vote. I mean, I don't think it's worth voting for that necessarily because it's a bit unfair because obviously it's got no track record or anything. But um, I'd be getting so much stick for not including Access Virus on that. You know why? And it's like, they haven't released a synth for three years. How can I possibly put that? Anyway, one man got very uppity. I, I, might get, I, I might review it when I get back from Nam, but again, you know, it's like there's four weeks between Nam and Music Messer. I mean, it's just crazy. So I will try, but uh, it, to, to review something like that, which is so deep and so all-inclusive, I remember working out, I, I have reviewed some Electron stuff in the past. It did take a very long time to learn. A no, you know, because you need to know these things reasonably well if you're going to pass any sort of judgment on them. And I just, I can't really invest the the time. That's the problem, because it is very much, it's sort of the electron way, and that's it. You know, if you integrate it with other equipment, and it's not the hub, particularly with the sequencer, because the sequencer is such a an integral part of the electron stuff. If you don't use the sequencer, you're sort of wasting a lot of that stuff. So I mean, maybe they should consider releasing some sort of a non-sequenced version at a cut down price or something if that's feasible i don't know if it is so when is the review i'll review it for you in january if it's in january because we probably would have moved to a bigger house by then well I'll so if, about it. if they I'm don't not... come and demonstrate it and you need somebody to review it i'll um it sounds like something that i'd probably get into so oh well, consider thanks. me <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Mark. I'll, I'll definitely check that out. And uh, Dave, I'm sure you'll be pleased to know. You're probably not going to NAM this year, eh? Uh, probably not. Yeah. Not even to get your hands on a, a bit of hands-on. Uh, probably, I'll probably be kept away from there now, given our recent expenditure, because we'll be like, no, you're yeah, not going. Yeah, the, the Schmidt will Stay be there. Stay away from the synthesizers. The Schmidt polysynth will be there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. No, I'm, I... I, I, I I didn't want to look at anything else, and actually the sound of this kind of intrigued me. The only thing that I was thinking about was the data knobs, and also the four-voice aspects. For me, six would have been nice, but I love what I love about the eight-voice, and so even if we only use half of it and use the four-voice, I love that putting it into unison and then obviously setting each of the oscillators to a different pitch and stuff like that. Uh, and that's kind of what excited me about this. I was going, okay, so you've got two subs per voice, you've got two BCOs per voice. Actually, if, yeah, no, you could probably have a little bit of fun with this. Anyway, I, won- yes. I wonder if you can tune. I wonder where the subs. The subs would probably get their pitch from each of the oscillators because quite often it only takes the pitch from the fu- one of the oscillators, isn't it? When you've got a sub, so you yeah, can't, one or you two can't interval the subs. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what I'd like to know, really. That sort of like stuff. That. What the tuning uh, is, I'm sure it'll be, sure it'll be great. I know guys have got the machine drumming, absolutely adore it and swear by it. So yeah, it's kind of ex- sort of semi exciting, but I will resist. Okay. All right then. Well, anyway, there we go. The electron uh, analog keys is available. 
uh, to order from December the 5th, so not long. So if you're going to go that way, then go for it. And, uh, yeah, it looked kind of funky. But I will say, you know, that Cenk, the guy who does all of their demos, I mean, he is probably the only person who can do what he does in the world on their stuff. And so he makes it all look so easy and intuitive, but he spends a lot of time, like, you know, just head down, fiddling, button, fiddle, fiddle. It's very... You have to move around the OS, no matter how much... You know, it's not all knob-per-function stuff, so you've, you've got to kind of... You know, you've got to get inside it a little bit. It's not as intuitive as initially as you would would hope, I think. But um, anyway... Uh, oh, yeah, come on, then. Let's have this. Um. What is a Skoog? Inside us all is a musician waiting to get out. Trouble is, instruments can be tricky, especially if you have a disability. Meet the Skoog. The easy-to-play instrument for everyone. Tap it. Shake it. Squeeze it. Stroke it. Give it a little twist. Just plug it into a Mac and play. Whatever your musical skills or physical ability, the Skoog software allows you to customise the instrument's sensitivity to suit your playing style, which means anyone can rock out to their favourite tunes or use programmes like GarageBand to open up a new world of amazing music and sounds. Yes, both free products that uh, you have to pay. That's anyway. That's the Skoog. I won't go into that now. But this is an interesting. That I, I, I when I first saw this, it looks really compelling and kind of fun. It's a very Fisher Price kind of uh, toy sort of vibe, and very tactile and looks like a lot of fun. Uh, they just got um, basically listed in the Apple Store, and uh, I, I didn't. Uh, somebody posted in the comments. I, I thought it looked interesting until I saw the price, and I thought, well, how expensive can it be? It's actually five hundred quid, <laughs> which I think is pretty expensive for uh, for something like that. Um, I, I, I'm guessing there's probably quite a lot of uh, stuff that went into it, but I mean, you know, the dog gets hold of that, and that's kind of boom, forever, isn't it? It's like it does because it does have a, a chew toy look to it a little bit, but um, it looks. I, I mean, obviously, one of the it, it seems like one of the big things is is uh, perhaps pe- people of disability being able to do stuff, and that's all fine. I think the thing that I objected to a little bit with this personally was this, like, you know, you don't have to be a musician to make great music kind of thing. And I was thinking, well, what other parallels are there where that could work? You don't have to be a surgeon to perform an operation. You don't have to be a house builder to build a house unless, of course, you want it to be demolished because building standards won't have it anywhere near there. You know what I mean? It just sort of feels like, why is that all right? It seems the only, the only sort of, it's the only possibility. I know, it's like desktop publishing, isn't it? That was, that's what happened. That was the first thing to get here, wasn't it? Comics. You don't have to be. You don't have to be a designer to create your own really cool cards. Except everybody who churned out their own business cards looked like shit. Thank goodness we didn't. Uh, we don't do that anymore. But I think it. People go through. Industries go through this stage of they kind of revolutionary, and now you don't have to be good at that in order to achieve being good at that. And it's like really strange. And video. Desktop publishing, music seems to be the kind of three things that everybody goes, oh, anybody could do that. As long as you've got one of these, anyone can do that. Weird. Yeah, aspirational. Weird. It does look and fun. We all, and we all buy into it for a while. We all kind of go, oh, yeah, that'd be great. I've always wanted to do that. And then we kind of go, actually, no, I will go and get a mix engineer. <laughs> That's a good example there. Yeah, uh, CR78 in the chat room. Yeah, dumbing down of everything. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I'm not... I, I, don't get me wrong. I mean, I think this probably looks like a great fun product. I mean, it does seem... It, 
disproportionately expensive for what it actually is and what it's made of but maybe there's something super special about it and uh, or whatever I don't know I mean and they certainly made a good a, a good compelling uh, case for owning one uh, until you see the price which they don't mention which it just I can't see in any way why it would be so expensive but um, it's, it's just a, a very interesting world I don't know Mark what do you think landfill technology well you wouldn't dare would you with that price doesn't make sense to me really I didn't really understand it. It's got coloured balls on it, right? With five faces with coloured balls on it. Yeah. Four four faces around the side and one on top. So what does that relate to? And uh, then you the twist it, it scale. Yeah. So anyone can make music as long as you're writing music in pentatonic scale. Is that what it's saying? Or will it intuitively know that actually the next note that you wanted to play in the scale <laughs> happened to go into like melodic minor or something? Well, I suspect I suspect there's you know there, there's all sorts of um, stuff you can do intelligently. You touch it and it triggers a or the or a sound in um, you know in the right place, I mean, it seems, in the right sequence. It seems like somebody in their marketing department's gone. Oh, this would be good for disabled people, and they've emphasised that a bit, but without really. Without really emphasising it, it's almost like um, I don't know what's it got like uh, not piecemeal. What is it? Uh, I can't think of the term. It's like when you say something to sort of like uh, to capture somebody's listening, but you're not really interested in them at all. Mm. What's that called? I'm not sure. But anyway, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to if you gave me one and I had it in my hands and it was tactile and it did some interesting things, then maybe. But I. Um, I, I yeah, it seems. I don't. Um, interestingly, I don't know if this is true or not. Um, uh, Lynn Levitt in the chat room says uh, they have cerebral palsy, and I'm guessing this is perhaps, you know, the, one of the targets they're looking for. Maybe it's a, but maybe it's the idea that you know. Well, one of the big cells they sell uh, on it is the, the therapeutic aspect, and maybe you know, in the right environment, with the, given the right sort of tutorship or whatever, it might have something really good to offer but i mean i'm not sure that it needs to be that i mean necessarily it seems like a very expensive way of kind of giving giving anybody yeah. with a disability like, the joy of music because i mean sure you can make music with all sorts of things you can hit or whatever i don't know maybe they care to comment um whether or not you think it's terrible palsy uh, can't you like cover yourself in electrodes and go and jump in a swimming pool plug yourself into midi that could be I'm you probably could, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's all sorts of things. It just, I think the thing is that this is probably making us a bit sort of inhale deeply is the price. You know, it's hard to understand how... I was fascinated with it until we got to that point, actually. It was only when I read down it. I saw the video and thought, oh, it's quite cool. The, the clue is in, we've got it in the Apple Store. That's when you start thinking, yeah, oh, there'll be a premium on this. Just and then at the bottom I went, whoa. So presumably Apple are making at least thirty percent on that, right? Because that's the way it works there. I don't know what, how it works on hard. Oh, hard. Is that, well, I don't know. I don't know how it works on hard hardware. Or, or what? The thing is, if they get it approved for disabled use, then everyone who runs a disabled kind of music therapy suite is going to kind of almost be forced to buy one, aren't they? And then, I'm sure they could spend five hundred quid on much more. Yeah. I like. The th- I mean, I've got a friend who works with disabled people, and I like those um, those light beam MIDI things that the person can literally move around in front of them. There's a lot of freedom in that, and they sort of the mo- they make movement, and then they get some kind of feedback from from synths or whatever, and it's and that can be musical. And you just set the hardware up to follow 
movement and create musical tones. But uh, it depends how tactile the person is, I suppose. How, mm. how you know how much their ability to physically feel something can relate to converting that into music. Yeah, I guess. I, it's, I, think, it's... I think it's more about. I mean, with people who are severely disabled, it's more about movement and like being able to translate their movement into something because it's not always well, maybe, maybe aware the leap, maybe the leap motion leap motion might work better in that instance exactly yeah. and that's not yeah. 500 quid uh, no, the other it, thing i noticed eight, is this thing this thing plugs into a mac yeah so it's 500 quid and now, the if mac. you're a, if you're running a music therapy suite are, are you going to be in the mac world or the pc world because a lot of the this you know stuff for disabled people runs in the pc world so mm. Seems a bit odd that it runs on a Mac. I was, that was going to be my first criticism, I suppose. I mean, I don't know. I need to physically hold one and try it to get a real sense of what it does. Yeah, I don't. I, want to, it, to me, there is an aspect of this. There's an aspect of this sort of feeling a little bit like I've got a mate who works in Apple. You know, <laughs> sort of. Yeah. I mean, I may be totally off the mark here, but it just seems an unrealistic. Place got a great video, uh, obviously got investment. They've got you know good um, public relations going there because they've got it. In the, it just seems like a bit of a, a a red herring really for that price. To be honest, it has to do something that other things don't do, and they have to have a unique selling point, I suppose. And they're not telling us what that is. So either it doesn't have one, or they need to find somebody better to well, market it. The new unique selling point is it's a dog chew toy for 500 quid. Basically, it's a USB port. Anyway, you I... You don't I, have to have any musical ability. Yeah, I'm so not... If you're a golden retriever, you'll do just fine. Yeah, imagine what your golden retriever would do with it. Yeah, he's getting very big as well. Yeah, apart from be down in one, wouldn't it? <laughs> Pretty much. Anyway, um... I I'm keep down... finding things. He keeps eating stuff, and I like going... Oh, no, he's got that now. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, he hasn't eaten any musical instruments yet, Bo, but we're getting there. Well, for God's sake, don't get, don't get one of these. Right, no. um, video four. This is a button I should press now. Ah, news item, 1977, 9th of September, news at one. Here we are, folks. I don't know what's going to happen next. Oh, it all go. began when two members Probably of the pop group there. 10CC, Lol Krem and Kevin Godley, had an idea for producing a whole new range of sounds from an electric guitar. Lacking the technical expertise to turn it into a full working there we model, go. <laughs> they eventually took their invention to the physics department at Manchester University's Institute of Science and Technology. It was a bit of a patch-up of um, glue, cardboard bits of metal cut out with tin snips. But an excellent kind of work, work fast forward the this idea is the was staggering of course. That would be done by a revolving wheel. Oh, it's got batteries, I didn't realise that. String. On each wheel, 48 tiny plectrums. By simply depressing a lever, the guitarist lowers the wheel to pluck the strings more than a hundred times a second. And there we have it, the Gizmotron, ladies and gentlemen. I think I might actually have uh, an image of it somewhere, which I feel I should uh, display, just so you can see it in its, all its glory. There it is. Uh, I tried to find some information about this, because um, this was obviously quite a big deal. They got a primetime TV sort of uh, thing made, and, uh, and, you know, 
I think, I mean, at the time, 10cc were massive, weren't they, about 1977? I mean, just totally huge. So, uh, but it, I, my, my rather um, sappy headline was, uh, did it revolutionise music as they seem to think it would? I, I don't think so. And I couldn't find anywhere, anywhere, even on eBay now, how much it cost at the time or how much you would buy one now. Because I think well, the thing about it, because it had that, uh, I'm not sure what the wheels made of, but they all fell off. So there's very few of them around. But there is uh, a place called gizmatron.org that, uh, that restores them and are, in fact, working on one. Didn't they say um, about 70 quid in the film? Oh, really? Sorry, I missed that. I was obviously... Um, no, they said, about 70 pounds. <laughs> about 70 pounds. <laughs> about yeah, 70 English exactly. for your pounds. That's a lot of money in 1977, isn't it? What's that going to work out? That's probably about three, four, five hundred quid. It's almost the same price as a... Um, Skoog. <laughs> but, no, uh, but, yeah, no, obviously no USB. Um... I'm just trying. I, I, this did actually fire off a thread of thought in my mind when I saw the topic that I have subsequently forgotten, um, which was something about. I think it had something to do with musicians creating instruments uh, or technology and just kind of having them made. And Dave, you've done that because you did, didn't you? Do the um, the, the Fat Boy controller? You were you were the uh, amongst the. Yeah. Would you say that was a that, perhaps this is a slightly quantum leap between these two topics, but. Have you ever seen a Gizmotron? All right, how about that? I'll start with that one. Start for 10. No, but I want one. And if they're remaking them, I want one. There's something very Tron-like. First of all... It's got Tron in it. Think of the name. Yeah, it's got the word Gizmo and it's got the word Tron in it. So those two things just kind of fit hand in glove and make me salivate. So I'm thinking that, uh, yeah, it would be a really cool thing to get... I know somebody who had one back in the day. And in fact, when I saw this topic, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember this. Because I've kind of secretly been looking randomly on eBay. I think what used to happen is the wheels used to wear out rather than kind of drop off. But uh, so, you know, getting each of the wheels into contact with each of the strings reliably once it it had been... I think it required quite a bit of setup, didn't it? Yeah, and that was problematical. But what I did do, I knew that this album, uh, this instrument was used on an album of theirs called Consequences, which was a triple album when I was at school. And nobody, I certainly couldn't couldn't afford it, but I love the the Deceptive Benz album. I think there's loads of humour in what they do, which I really like. And uh, I remember somebody coming to school after Christmas who'd managed to get who'd got this Consequences triple album for Christmas. And I was the first thing I was, so what's it like, what's it like? And they went, actually, it's not very good. <laughs> well, I listened to it this morning. I, that was, as soon as I got this topic. So rather than working on patches, which is what I'm supposed to be doing now, I actually was kind of switching between that and uh, looking at uh, and listening to this Consequences album. And it's... Brilliant. It's on YouTube, actually. It's well worth checking out for anybody who's into kind of weird and wacky stuff. And you can see what they've done. And there's this absolutely fantastic... I really hope I've kept this up. So they, they're doing this album, and they said, you know, they got to this point where they couldn't see the wood for the trees. It started out as a Gizmotron kind of demo album, and then it just elaborated, they, it elaborated from there and got completely out of control. And he said... Uh, 
regardless of the finished product, we just didn't want to stop. The result is a weird mix of sheer brilliance and utter shite. I could be wrong. It may be all brilliant or it might be all shite or even all brilliant shite. Either way, it completely <laughs> fried our brains for a while and it's impossible for me to be objective about it. Now, what's fascinating in listening to it is it is very Tron-like and there's this amazing, I mean, we said, you know, the, the, the days of doing this for musicians are kind of over. So three days were spent producing a saxophone sound from an electric guitar using the Gizmotron. Each note of a guitar solo was recorded separately and then faded in on the track, which was then sent through to a speaker and out of a rubber hose perforated with a cigarette paper at the end. <laughs> so enough pressure was displaced by forcing the sound through the holes of the cigarette paper to give it the rasp of a saxophone. Genius. That is I want just... one just for that this is actually I'm just fading a bit of consequences up here it's, it's quite electronic isn't it uh, I don't know if that's it interesting idea though and um, yes they are in fact remaking them if we go to uh, let me see I've got gizmatron.org right here uh, 2040, they, they are, yeah, it says, yes, we are developing a new Gizmotron 2.0 for 2014, and it's going to be about 399 US dollars. So uh, if you want to get older one, I don't know what's going to do or whether it's going to be as good I, I, or whether they're going to feel they have to uh, improve it. But I, I think probably the Ebo, didn't the Ebo kind of put a, the kibosh on it? Because Ebo was about um, 100 was quid. About Lots of people four. used those. In fact, Eno, didn't Eno on Another Green World, um, who was the guitarist? Was, it, was Eno guitarist on Another Green World? There's a lot of Ebo on that, though, wasn't there? Ebos are amazing. They're just brilliant. They're Same really kind amazing. of idea, maybe. Well, it's yeah. electromagnetic, isn't it? So it just vibrates. Yeah. That well, it's like, yes, yeah, so I suppose so. But wasn't there a guitar it. with infinite sustain as well, which had some kind of Ebo thing built into it? So Moog. Moog guitar. And then, no, before that. Before that. I don't know. It's entirely possible. In, uh, oh, God, what's it called? It was in the, like, 1970s. I think it's a Gibson model with a some kind of sustain circuit in it that just basically re-stimulates the string. But from the late 70s or early 80s, maybe? God, can you imagine the amount of voltage oh, that was going was. into that guitar to generate that? Oh, you were going to be anywhere near it. <laughs> Sustainer. Les Paul developed lots, uh, says Stu. Art in the chat room. Uh, uh, okay. on. So yes, chat room is helping. Fernandez Sustainer. Fernandez Sustainer. Yeah, I think that's the one I was thinking of. Excellent. Thank you, I chat room. That... <laughs> that whole that whole Gizmotron thing looks absolutely fascinating. Actually, I mean, I I I couldn't help looking at the guitar that he was using and thinking, I wonder if that guitar is worth less money if they've taken the thing off because it's now a a strap full of holes or if it will suddenly be worth more money to a collector somewhere or if the thing's maybe still on there well that's the tricky part i don't know whether or not how how it got fitted whether he had to put bolts in it or whether there was something else because that would be a little bit of an issue wouldn't it drilling especially where well if you look at the holes where they are there uh see if i can make that a bit bigger oh, that's different isn't it but the, the then, one you that... know right there is kind of uh, oh no, that's there. Well, you can't see. Oh, that's weird. It doesn't actually show up right. Right there is where uh, the uh, the bolts. So right there is where your hand, your arm is going to go. So you're going to end up with sort of, you know, <laughs> stuff. Uh, anyway, you know what I'm saying. Um, uh, yeah. Th uh, Sonic uh, Sonic 806 in the chat room says, "Think Steve Hackett has one built into his current Fernandez Les Paul copy." 
Nice idea, though, uh, and it definitely had an interesting sound. There is that there are, if you go on YouTube, there are a few demo uh, records uh, of, um, you know, of it. They made a de- it does demo. Does have record. an interesting sound. I mean, it sounds not dissimilar to a Mellotron in many senses, actually. It sounds like yeah, it's, it's like a what... Byrotron, actually. It, that's that's really what it reminded me of. Was the Byrotron was the kind of eight-track cassette uh, cartridge version of it, but right. of course. There was no attack. I mean, it was just instant attack. You couldn't do anything to kind of change the attack because the motors were kind of whirring the whole time and it was literally like, mm. right, we're now making contact with the tape or we're not. There was no, there was nothing nuanced. And, and as a consequence, ha, 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 pardon the pun, um, the, it just made this god-awful racket the whole time because these things were spinning and spinning. Yeah. Even you when you really weren't playing anything, you're thinking, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not what you want, really. Uh, alternatively, you might want something along these lines, though. This is the uh, instrument, which we've covered before, but it's still under development. This looks like a different form factor again, once again. It's hard to see detail for this, because obviously this looks a little bit like uh, one of those uh, um, till keyboards you have a shop that's covered in um rubber because you can't see the details and uh, um but actually what it does look like is uh, if i go here well, you can see this is what the instrument is is supposed to look like it's got overlays in fact you can change the overlays to note grid uh guitar grid piano grid overlay uh drum pad overlay hex flat uh this is the iso isometric one hex flat side overlay um I'm guessing we might be seeing some... Pro- it'd be good if we see some of these prototype things at NAMM. That'd be interesting. But it got me thinking a little bit, again, about, you know, this endless search for new ways to input data, effectively, is what we're looking at. Um, and um, I'm wondering, you know, what is it about our lives that is not expressive enough? Um, I guess the key- it's the keyboard player's problem, really, more than anybody else, because guitars are more expressive than, than most things. Um, Dave? Have you got a desire? I, I did find a great search, uh, which was just isomorphic keyboards, and then it just threw up all these interesting <laughs> other keyboard layouts and various things that people seem to want to do as an alternative to just playing the keyboard. Um, obviously, the, the Keith McMillan thing looks kind of interesting because that does give you um, X, Y, and pressure and uh, all of those things. Um, so that might be something that's worth having. But, I mean, it, it, are you... F- are you finding you're missing that stuff in your life, Dave? I mean, obviously you've got poly aftertouch, but I, I guess the um, the uh, Keith McMillan thing would work because it's got CV out, so you could map it straight in, right? Yeah, I kind of like the idea of that. No, I, 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 I thought the overlay idea was really brilliant, actually, on this. Uh, but it's... I don't know. I'd have to try one before saying whether it's for me or not. Uh, I do like this whole alternate MIDI controller thing. But I kind of reached this conclusion... What time is it now? About three minutes ago. No, uh, a while ago that actually what I really need to do is dedicate some time to getting my chops back together and becoming really proficient on something that's been around for several hundred years. I think that's kind of where my time would be better. Do you think there's an element do you think there's an element of that, Dave? So it's like, yeah, I can't play the keyboard, it just it just doesn't work for me. What I need is a instrument or something else or an isometric keyboard, because when I start learning that, then that will unlock the key to my full creative power and fluidity. I think that's the promise that these things sometimes deliver 
randomly to one or two people but uh, i think that's kind of what the what the allure is oh you know i could be the guy who's i could be the chapman stick player equivalent of you know i don't know it's just it's a weird it's weird there's there's sort of there are times where i kind of think some of these things are a bit of a kind of super cul-de-sac you can sort of disappear up them for ages and ages and kind of disappear up your ass really and then you go Actually, do you know what? My time might have been better served just practicing my scales and arpeggios. That's an interesting. There is also, but there is also an element if you've got something that looks completely unfathomable and only five people in the world can play it, and you're one of them, but you can't play it very well, then you can still play it better than most people. Do you see what I mean? So there's an you you can become proficient. (laughs) In terms of, so you are in fact an expert in something that's just really obscure. That, and you might not actually be all that good. You're just good enough to kind of play Happy Birthday on it or whatever it may be. But that's sort of enough to make yeah, you I seem like, like a wow. I like that. That's very British and kind of centric. <laughs> I'll th- tell you the only thing that really, and like I say, I'm not dissing this at all. I think, you know, obviously they're two big heroes, and I was very intrigued with the Prophet Twelve uh, module. Yes, that's the, the yes. yeah. That's kind of what took my fancy. But, but um, I, I would like to try it. What did concern me is because he's saying that it's the dynamic in the, you know, obviously the harder you press the pad and whatnot. And I was thinking that I've had discussions with people on iPad saying that actually the way of getting some kind of dynamism in terms of pressure is to measure the amount of your finger that oh. makes contact mm. with the surface and then translate that somehow. And of course, we know... or I was seeing the other day that uh, Apple have just bought some, uh, you know, motion control company, haven't they? Oh, really? Not. I was kind of thinking, oh, well, you know, if you kind of look, the two, I think they're looking more towards the kind of connect and uh, leap motion type vibe. But uh, I was thinking, actually, you could, they could effectively wreck anybody else's plans by going, oh, we've taken that and we've put it in here, and now this iPad does this, and you kind of go. They must have something up their sleeve. And the reason I know that is because I've got a piece of software called Orpheon, which measures something to do with your finger and how much size of pressure and pad goes on the screen. And after five different revisions or instances of that piece of software, Apple turned around and said, we won't approve that for the Apple Store because it does precisely that measuring thing as we can't have any device doing that so they must have something up their sleeve that they want to save that for their own thing to herald their own thing so um the whole functionality of that very expressive instrument suddenly i'm going to say it changed at the moment because i i, I ought not to reveal certain things but um uh yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just a really odd thing that they suddenly said that he was no longer allowed to use that functionality in any kind of iOS app. Wow. Although mm. it exists. Hmm. I think people seem to be playing a uh, drinking game in the uh, chat room to do with uh, the words poly with the mention of poly aftertouch. I think Echo Sonic has just won himself a drink because he says bingo. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I seem to have become labelled with someone who's just obsessed with aftertouch, which I, I assure you I'm not. I don't even, you know, have a great fondness of it. It just seems to me that um, it should be on a keyboard that has expression because we've only got up and down and on and off otherwise, and that's. And it's been an absolute mystery. Yeah, I think you're right. 
we when we implemented it in the in Posca two, we were obviously being distributed by Avid and Memaudio at the time, and that was one of the big things we just went to and went. There is no excuse now for people not to make a good poly aftertouch keyboard. You know, in the old days, it was due to the claim was getting the data down the MIDI cable and all that kind of stuff and Rubbish. plugging stuff up, but, you know, USB. And we really, really laboured the point. And like I said, only up until I moved in here that I used that Kurzweil MIDI board and being able to pick out a note or add expression, a bit of vibrato, whatever you want, just even loudness dynamic is just a thing of joy. Again, another reason why I begged and pleaded that I can have a MIDI interface on the CS8. Ah, will that will it respond? I mean, will the um, CS80 allow you to have polyphonic aftertouch working that way, or does that is that extra? I'd imagine. I really hope it does. To be honest, I didn't ask, but don't tell anyone. Okay, all right. Um, I won't. Your secret's safe with us, Dave, and the people listening. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I was so excited. I forgot about that part. I was just like, "Can I have a MIDI interface?" Ken said. Do you want unison? I was like, oh, yeah, 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 please. Can I have unison? Uh, things. Excellent. Well, I think we're kind of, uh, it feels like a good time to stop. Um, my laptop technology has taken, uh, seems to have uh, held up, even though I've got this, 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 uh, I don't know if that's where, if I, if I show that. No, it won't show. Yeah, look, I've just got this, this, this thing has been kind of, trying to connect to a remote desktop or one of my other machines the entire show and I thought it might break everything but it's been fine so uh, thank you very much technology and hopefully my new my, my, my newer laptop will be um, will be back for next week and we shall see um, but in the meantime please do enjoy uh, our reviews and stuff we've got more things coming out as I said we've got the Gecko MIDI controller that works with Leap Motion uh, we've got a Sonic Touch episode 27 where Gaz rocks out with Bias's uh, um, amp simulator which I have to say sounded bloody amazing and I've also got got the Pulse 2 ready to uh, review, probably get onto that next week But uh, Bias th- amp simulator, is that software? Yeah, it's an iPad app uh, Yeah, get it Mark, it sounds amazing Does it? Okay. Really, really amazing Black Friday deals. No, I'm trying to do that. Anyway, but thank you. Well, I may as well stay with you, Mark, so I can say thank you for joining us um, very much this week. Um, and uh, we should look forward to seeing you next time. When is Black Friday? I think is it's after this Friday, is it? The day after Thanksgiving, is it? Oh, I don't know. It's the Wave fri- usually throw up loads of ridiculous deals, don't they? Or give things away. Oh, yeah, right, Black okay. Friday, so it must try and find one i didn't know i don't know of any if anybody knows of any please tell me i always like bargains you like a bit of a bargain well mark thank you very much for joining us anyway mark it's been a pleasure to have you on board as ever with you and your hat and your um it was a cycle clip i know what that is oh is that your dog yeah (laughs) he Uh, found it what happened to the rest of the bike uh he's eaten it actually he's also eaten this brush all right, <laughs> uh, no, that's pretty. That's not too bad. That's just a sort of light crazy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, thank you, Mark. Thank you very yeah, much. You're for very welcome. Thank you very much. And also, Dave Spears over there in his U-boat filled with synthesizers. Yeah, Achtung! It's a shame Hans isn't here. Could have wound him up, couldn't I? Yeah, he's uh, he's always a good sport. But that he's got. I've seen him in a polar neck. Anyway, thank you, Dave. Uh, G4Software.com uh, will be uh, no doubt. Uh, enjoying the updates from his currently being fixed new synthesizer. 
Or old synthesizer. Yeah. Anyway, I had, a, I had a phone call. Uh, yeah, I had a phone call last night, telling me that it wasn't. It wasn't. It hadn't been. It was relatively unmolested. Let's say. Ah, so it was better than you thought. Which is always a relief because scary. Yeah, cool. I can imagine. Yeah, the the single most complicated polyphonic synthesizer in the world ever, requiring a bit of servicing. And then, of course, by the time you get it from the place where it's being serviced back to your house, it will need more servicing. Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that oh, won't be the case. I've anyway. got to tell you a story. Can I tell you a oh, quick right, story? Oh, my God, Yeah, go. So I'm having a guitar made by a lovely man in... Oops, sorry about that. Having a guitar made by a lovely man in Wales called... Jez, and I don't know if I pronounce his name right, Woodroth, Woodroth. And he used to be the keyboard player in Black Sabbath, so he knows loads of people wow. that we collectively know. So, But I got talking to him, and it seems that he, uh, his family used to run this business in Birmingham called Woodroth Music, and he sold Nick his Jupiter 8, which is wow. the same Jupiter 8 which I trudged around the world with for 15 years, and soldered back together when it went horribly wrong so that was like a kind of a little kind of you know, completion of a circle of events really oh nice I yeah, like... he's a lovely man as well and i'm i am getting a lovely guitar as well oh uh, well nice. i very much uh hope you uh enjoy it immensely anyway that's going to be sonic talk number 340 um and I was going to say, uh, I'm going to play out, because while I was doing this Godly and Cream research for the Gizmotron, I found uh, a video of Cry, which I'd forgotten about, which was uh, one of their Godly and Cream tracks. It was one of their biggest hits, and it was the video with their morphing faces. And at the end, there's um, Trevor Horn. So I'm guessing he must have produced that as well. God, there's nothing he didn't do. Anyway, I'll play that, and then we'll fade to black. Cheers. because I'll get busted. Mm-hmm. 